Zenni offers prescription glasses starting at $6.95, as well as affordable sunglasses, blue blockers, and more. The best part? Try any frame, anywhere, with our 3D virtual try-on. Visit Zenni.com today and change the way you buy glasses forever. If your loved one is at risk of a fall, the Symphony Medical Alert System from CVS Health can help support their safety in their home with 24-7 emergency monitoring, even when you can't be there. Terms and conditions apply. Learn more about Symphony at cvs.com symphony or find it at your nearest CVS Health Hub. Welcome to the Boost Podcast with Kelly Leonard. The podcast providing you with immediate access to tools, tips, and tactics to boost your business success, build your brand, optimize relationships, obtain more leads, secure thought leadership space, and tap into new markets. It's the Boost Podcast. And now, here's Kelly Leonard. Welcome back to the Boost Podcast. On this particular episode, we feature Alan Gregerman, who's the CEO of VentureWorks. When we think about which element of Boost this particular episode will touch on, it's optimize relationships. His topic was the necessity of strangers, unlocking the brilliance in yourself, your organization, and the world around you. This conversation was delivered by Alan Gregerman as a part of our small business network with Montgomery Community Media. So listen in. I'd like to share with you some ideas about what I believe it takes to be successful in business, whatever type of business you're in. And I have a little bit of a slant uh, to that because I'm particularly focused on getting you to think about the fact that the folks that you don't know, as opposed to the folks that you do know, are way more likely to be the folks who help you to launch and grow businesses. Um, and so that's a little bit of a counterintuitive idea, and so I want to kind of work with you on that. Um, I run a consulting firm that helps uh, companies and organizations basically figure out how to grow by unlocking the genius in all of their people, but also unlocking the genius in a world filled with remarkable folks. And so I want you to understand the power of that simple idea. But first, I want you to understand that in order to be successful in any type of business, you need to consistently innovate. Innovate in order to bring the right new ideas, the right new services uh, to customers that we have the privilege to serve. We have to make sure that we inspire customers. We have to make sure that we make customers more successful. We have to make sure consistently um, that we make customers smarter. And I'd like to think in a way, based on my passion for the original Lego movie, that we have to be able to make the lives and worlds of our customers way more awesome than they ever imagined was possible. Now, so we have to innovate consistently. So what I want to ask you is, how many of you think of yourselves as being particularly innovative? Okay, good. Better than in most groups. And the rest of you are either super humble or you need a little bit of guidance on how to be innovative. Okay, well, it turns out I believe all of you have the potential to be innovative if you simply understand that innovation happens in a way different way than most of us have been taught to think it does. We typically think that super smart people hanging out somewhere with a beautiful room filled with whiteboards a brainstorming are likely to come up with the most brilliant ideas. And if that's the case, then a bunch of us often say, God, I hope I don't get invited to those types of sessions. Well, it turns out the most fundamental fact about innovation ought to be the most liberating thing that any of you, I hope, hear uh, today or in the next several days, because it's a really awesome thing that should change the way you think about yourself and your own ability to be innovative. And that simple fact is the following. 99% of all new ideas 
are based on someone else's thinking. That's kind of a cool idea, isn't it? So it turns out if I want to come up with a brilliant idea, I actually don't have to rack my brain to come up with a brilliant idea. I actually have to just get up and wander around and be curious. And so the history of innovation throughout the world has been people who have been curious kind of changing the equation. So imagine this. It's 1940, and a guy named George de Mistral is walking his dog through the Alps. As he walks his dog through the Alps, he notices that his dog is covered with burrs, something that had happened for thousands of years to other folks. But to George, this was an awesome thing. As opposed to burrs being a nuisance, George imagined that burrs could be incorporated into all kinds of things that would improve the quality of human life. In fact, by thinking about burrs in a different way, he discovered Velcro. Velcro wasn't discovered by somebody in a lab trying to imagine something that sticks super well. It was discovered by somebody who imagined something going on in nature that stuck super well. As a kid, I adored helicopters. I thought it was so awesome that something so big could literally start in a standing stop, go straight up in the air, hang out up there, then decide to go forward, then come down, rescue people, deliver supplies, visit with friends, then go back up in the air and head home. I thought it must have been the work of a genius who just sat down and figured out how could it be such a remarkable possibility. But in fact, the helicopter was discovered by a guy who was super smart, a guy named Igor Sikorsky, who was a Russian immigrant to the United States. But more amazingly, um, he found his inspiration for coming up with the helicopter as a child in a market in Russia, because there he saw a toy, a toy called the Chinese top. Simple toy, a stick with a propeller. In his day, it was made out of wood. Now it's hard to find a good one made out of wood. Simple toy that you'd simply put in your hands like this, and then it would fly, just like a helicopter. Sikorsky saw this toy and imagined that if this toy could go straight up in the air, that someday humans, too, could go straight up in the air. So the idea for a remarkable innovation that's part of the course of modern technology was all about a toy that was 2,000 years old, a toy that was developed in China. So imagine a guy in Russia as a child playing with a toy 2,000 years earlier developed in China and then in 1939 in the United States turning it into a remarkable innovation. Ideas come when people are open and curious to possibilities. How many of you today drive a self-driving car? Okay, so partially, and in fact, increasingly, cars have features that will allow you to drive them by themselves. Well, in about five years, most of us will have the option of buying a car that can drive by itself. And my sense is it'll be a lot more relaxing to be on the Beltway than it is today. Because now, all the people who are distracted should actually be driving their car. But in a few years, they'll be able to do the things that are distracting them now and get me less than excited about them um, while the car is driving itself. I think it's going to be not a bad thing. I'm kind of looking forward to it. Well, it turns out the missing piece to self-driving cars was not created by an automotive engineer who was thinking simply about how cars were engineered. It was created by a young automotive engineer who decided that maybe somebody else had the key to helping cars communicate. And the person who had the key from his perspective was somebody who understood about other vehicle-like things that go super fast in really highly congested areas. Super fast and never crash into each other. So the person he relied on to create the breakthrough was a marine biologist. Because the folks who inspire self-driving cars are fish. 
You ever noticed fish in the sea going in really fast, kind of busy schools, always staying parallel with each other, always getting with the program. When the weather changes or a predator comes, they always move in a certain direction. Well, it turns out that fish give each other three types of signals in real time, and those signals allow them to know exactly where to go. It turns out self-driving cars will give themselves very similar types of signals based on how fish have communicated. So the world is filled with all kinds of ideas, and our challenge is to think about how we can find the right ideas and adapt them to our world to make us way more remarkable, and how we consistently continue to take those ideas and develop them as technology and possibilities change. So in the late 1950s, I should bring out a doctor here because it would be helpful. In the late 1950s, a remarkable innovation was, was created. And that innovation was created in Minneapolis by a team of doctors and engineers, and it was the first pacemaker. And so the first pacemaker, interestingly, um, in the late 1950s, was the first thought anybody had about a device that would actually help people whose heartbeats were irregular to actually control them. Now, it required a lot of medical knowledge, but it also required one other remarkable skill. And that was one member of the team who created the first pacemaker also happened to play the piano. And so one day while he was playing the piano and thinking about a breakthrough that would enable him to help people keep their hearts regular, he paid a little bit more attention to his metronome. An amazing device that enabled him to kind of keep the tune, enabled him to play regularly, enabled him to think about the music in a more reliable way. And he imagined, what if in fact I could put a metronome in a human heart? And in fact, that was part of the breakthrough that allowed us to have pacemakers today. Now it turns out the first pacemaker was not implantable. It was kind of wearable, it was about the size of a metronome and you kind of wore it around and so you probably didn't want to be seen that often wearing that. But over time they got smaller and smaller until they were implantable. Actually the first implantable was pretty large. Um, but what's cool today, if you think about the evolution of technology, is the simple notion that folks look at constantly, how do I drive innovation to my customers? And so now imagine this. Now today I have the latest pacemaker. And so on a given part of the day, I suddenly don't feel like my heart's performing as well as I could. I call the doctor. The doctor says, wait a minute, let me pull you up on my laptop computer or my iPad or my iPhone. Let me check out your heart for a second. Just hang in there for me. So the doctor looks and the doctor says, you know, you could use a modest adjustment here. Wait a second, let me program that in. And then the doctor changes the pace of your pacemaker and says, just give yourself about a minute and then tell me, are you feeling a little bit better? Because it looks on my screen like you're actually performing a little bit better than you were before. Kind of cool, isn't it? Kind of scary. <laughs> Kind of amazing to think that we went from playing the piano to controlling people's hearts online. But that's what we're able to do through what we now think about as something called the Internet of Things, the ability to control physical objects using the power of the Internet. So the world actually is really filled with powerful ideas, but they're based on other people's thinking. So the reality is if you want to innovate and create greater value for your customers, you only need to understand deeply their challenge, and then you need to get out and figure out if there's anybody else out there in any industry or any walk of life who has really successfully thought about the challenge 
and can provide a spark or inspiration or ideas. And you can do that by visiting other companies. You can do that by going to great museums. You can do that by hanging out in kind of hip, trendy neighborhoods where new ideas are happening all the time. You can go to a cool new restaurant just to think about what do they knew that know that's connecting with a new group of customers. You can literally go anywhere, but the idea is as opposed to sitting down with a blank sheet of paper, your challenge is to take your colleagues and actually get out and look for ideas and then figure out how we use those ideas as the spark for thinking differently. That's the real power of strangers. And I'd argue that the more different they are from us, or the differenter, what, okay, the more different they are from us, the better. Because the more like us they are, the more likely they are to think in the same way as we do. And as times change, we need to have totally different ideas. Now, you might say, well, that's all well and good. But the smartest companies, they're just super, super smart. They just have all these smart people. They just come up with brilliant ideas. Like, take Apple. Um, isn't it just like a bunch of people in Cupertino, California, and the ghost of Steve Jobs, who are just sitting there coming up with brilliant ideas. So let me ask you, how many of you have an Apple device? Any of you? Okay, a fair number. And how many of you play music or videos or content on an Apple device? So it turns out they have roughly 70% market share in high-end digital music and content players. That's kind of awesome. Anybody here be happy with 70% market share? <laughs> And so we say to ourselves, God, these people are so smart. They've kind of figured it out. And it all started in 2004, I think, in terms of the whole digital world with the iPod. Um, and it was their first digital music player. But I'd argue the folks at Apple, actually more so than the rest of us, are masters at leveraging other people's ideas. They're masters at understanding strangers. So let me give you an idea of what I mean. Let me untangle myself from... Yeah. It's 1979, <laughs> for those of you who are around then, okay, and the rest of you just bear with me, okay, yeah. it's 1979, and as I walk across the campus at the University of Michigan, I'm the coolest person around, because unlike anyone else, I have entertainment that's portable, I am the proud possessor of a Sony walk person. <laughs> Come on, I have daughters. Come on. I'm not going to call it a Walkman. Come on. A marvel of modern technology. In fact, I can take my music with me in multiples of 12 songs. Is that awesome? How many of you have 12 songs on your iPod, huh? All by the same artist. Is that incredible? Our kids look at me and they go, wow, like you bought the entire album? Everybody knows there's only a couple good songs on any album. Said I didn't have a choice, but uh, no. So I was literally a party waiting to happen, okay? Well, I know you find that hard to believe. Okay, but anyway. So it turns out 25 years before Apple ever came up with a device that could play content, um, the folks at Sony had figured out how to do that in a modestly, in retrospect, lame way. Okay, um, so the folks at Apple did invent the idea. And one might argue the folks at Sony didn't invent the idea, because if I really want to go backwards, um, there was a device called a transistor radio. Anybody heard of that? So I could actually listen to curated stuff by a radio station um, in my hometown of San Francisco if I wanted to do that. Um, so they didn't invent the idea, okay? 
Um, the technology that drives these things, MP3 technology, did Apple invent that? No. It was invented by two German engineers in 1986. So they didn't invent the idea. They didn't invent the technology, actually. And I'd argue the glue that holds you kind of connected to Apple and all their stuff, the iTunes store, the world's largest repository of digital content, I would argue that's actually a 2,300-year-old idea. I'd suggest that 2,300 years ago in the great city of Alexandria, Egypt, the Egyptians built a library. And in that library were over 400,000 handwritten documents. What the Egyptians believed at the time was the sum total of the world's knowledge. Now, they hadn't been to a lot of places. In fact, there were a lot of places on Earth they had absolutely no idea existed. But the Egyptians knew 2,300 years ago that whoever had the most content was likely to win. They wanted to create a bigger empire. If we know more, we have a bigger chance to grow. The folks at Apple and Netflix and Amazon want to have the most content because they want to rule the digital world. So the folks at Apple, as brilliant as they are with intuitive design, could not survive without the power of strangers. And so that's our challenge to figure out how we can be more brilliant by connecting with the strangers all around us. Uh, wait a minute. This is Pink Floyd. Just give me a second. <laughs> really good. Okay. But anyway, so ideas abound. Anybody ever been to Cirque du Soleil? And so they've reinvented, in a way, performance, okay? So they've created these performances that are kind of unlike anything else that we've ever seen, except for a fact that they're basically a fusion of everything else that we've ever seen. They're a fusion of a traditional circus. They're a fusion of Chinese acrobats. They're a fusion of five minutes. Time goes by so quick. Okay. They're a fusion of kind of... Chinese acrobats, they're a fusion of opera. They have a language we can't understand. Actually, that's most languages for me. Okay, but anyway, um, they've taken all this together, the drama of great theater, and pulled it all together into experience that we say is wild and new and unique. It's unique because of the combination, but it's not unique because of all the inspirations. Our challenge is to regularly be inspired by folks in all different walks of life and to figure out how to take that and use it to deliver value. And so when I mentioned, so some people will say, okay, so you mentioned just get out, that's great, but what if I don't have an idea of where to get out to? Let me give you a few ideas. Every one of you could benefit from going to visit the folks at L.L. Bean. Because what do the folks at L.L. Bean know based on this remarkable boot that started the company in 1912? Well, it's a long story, but to tell you the bottom line what the folks at L.L. Bean know is the companies that guarantee unconditional satisfaction are the folks that endure and win. So imagine that. Everything they sell at L.L. Bean comes with an unconditional guarantee of satisfaction. If you don't believe you get value commensurate with what you paid, you can return it at any time. No questions asked. They'll give you another one or give you your money back. How many of you guarantee what you do? How many of you stand behind what you do in a compelling way and say to customers, we won't rest until you're completely satisfied. I can guarantee you in almost any industry that you're in, if you had a compelling guarantee, you'd stand out. You'd be different in a way that really mattered. You'd get the attention of lots of customers. How many of you realize that increasingly customers say, I don't have a ton of money, and so I need you to do the really smart stuff, but I need you to have me 
be able to do some of the other stuff because I can't afford to do all this stuff. So in a lot of businesses that happens. Well, if I wanted to think about how to do that well, I'd simply need to go to that gigantic blue box with the yellow letters called IKEA. And I'd simply need to enter there and start an amazing journey of discovery, okay? How many of you have ever been to IKEA? Yes? And how many of you have noticed once you get in, it's impossible to leave, okay? (laughs) Because you're condemned to going past all 10,000 products that they sell. Because they know if you do that, you're going to buy stuff you absolutely don't need. But you really want it. And so, and so the folks at Ikea have figured out a bunch of things because they don't do much there other than put this really nice stuff out and come up with a catalog. They don't even talk to you that much there. You go and find the stuff. Their view is that if they leave you alone, you'll buy more. If they pester you, you won't. So you find the stuff you want. Then you go to the warehouse. Then you wrestle it to the ground. Then you put it on a card. Then you go through checkout, which is increasingly self-service because if they didn't want to talk to you when you arrived, why would they want to talk to you when you're leaving? <laughs> Then you go home. Then you make it with a little wrench. Then it's perfect. Then you call your friends and invite them to a party. Then they come in and go, wow, Alan, new furniture. It's awesome. You go, yes, don't sit in it. It's from Ikea. No, No, I'm I'm sure you can do that. Okay. But if I wanted to understand kind of the whole notion of kind of self-help and how I empower our customers to do more so that I can focus on the really high-value stuff, I just take my team to Ikea and just hang out there and try and figure out how they've become a $40 billion company by just selling stuff you got to put together yourself. It's awesome. $40 billion worth of getting people to do their own business for them. Um, If I wanted to figure out how many of you feel that if you could really provide the highest level of service to your customers that they believed you were always there for them, you likely would win. How many people believe that? Okay. Um, How many of you also shop at Whole Foods? And you shop there because you like to spend twice as much for groceries as you should, right? Well, they know some things at Whole Foods that you ought to know. And the most important thing they know is this idea of sticking with the customer. Okay, granted, they have really nice stuff there. And granted, it looks really beautiful. But you ask somebody at the Giant where something is, they go, God, I don't know. Aisle 29, just go west. (laughs) And then when you get there, turn in there and it's somewhere down there. You ask somebody at Whole Foods where something is, they're required to take you there. Have you noticed that? Yes. So let's say you go to somebody at Whole Foods and you say, God, can you tell me where the prune juice is? No, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> and they go, oh, sir, please, let me, let me take you there. And they take you to the aisle and then they get you the prune juice. And they go, we have these three varieties here. They're all organic. And they say, do you have any questions? Well, yeah, does it work? No, but seriously. <laughs> no. Um, And if they don't know the answer, they're required to find a colleague who does. That's awesome, okay? How many of you do that same thing in your business? Make sure if somebody has a question that you don't rest until the time is up. Okay. Okay, good. So uh, let me end with one short story, and then we'll get to questions. Okay. So several years ago, as I'm walking our daughter Carly to the bus, um, let me get the bus out here. And so as I'm walking her to the bus, I noticed a guy who I'd never seen in our neighborhood before who looked a little bit suspicious to me. Um, he was a bit disheveled. He was talking to himself. He was walking kind of funny. Not that funny walking isn't awesome in a movie. But, um, 
And once he got out of earshot, I turned to Carly, who was nine at the time, and I said, sweetheart, you know, mama and papa can't always walk you to the bus. So I want you to promise me at those times when we can't walk you to the bus that you won't talk to strangers. Seemed like really good advice. It was advice my parents gave me in way safer times. To which Carly looked up at me and said, but papa, if I don't talk to strangers, how will I make new friends? And how will I learn new things? I want to challenge you each day to connect with new people to connect with people who are comfortable for you to connect with and connect with people who are way different than you are. Because the more different they are and the different perspectives that they have are way more likely to shape your ability to see great possibilities than anyone who's a lot like you. I like to think that friends are powerful for us because friends support us in a lot of ways, but strangers are the folks who allow us to create breakthroughs if we're open to the ideas they bring. Thank you very much. As I think about the necessity of strangers, I can't help but think about that statement that probably most of us were told as children, don't talk to strangers. And so Alan really turns this whole concept on his head and helps us to really understand how getting around people who think differently than we do actually will benefit us. So again, as you're thinking about how to boost your business success, optimize relationships by thinking about how you might be able to tap into strangers to advance your business initiatives. Thank you again for joining us on this episode of the Boost Podcast. And thank you to the team at Montgomery Community Media for allowing us the opportunity to use this audio playback. This concludes this episode. For more information, on how we can help you to advance your business success using this methodology, visit our website, kellytleonard.com. Hey, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. If your loved one is at risk of a fall, the Symphony Medical Alert System from CVS Health can help support their safety in their home with 24-7 emergency monitoring, even when you can't be there. Terms and conditions apply. Learn more about Symphony at cvs.com slash symphony or find it at your nearest CVS Health Hub. Now more than ever, it's critical that customers find accurate information about your business. Local Works by Yahoo Small Business makes it easy to add, edit, and publish business information across 70-plus local directories from a single dashboard. Ensure your business is found with Local Works and save 10% today by using code LWPODCAST. Visit yahoosmallbusiness.com slash local to find out more.